This morning, we're in Hebrews chapter 3, no, chapter 4. And in chapter 3, we are given a warning. It says, Take, in verse 12 of chapter 3, it said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The idea there is, Forsaking the living God, not departing. It's the idea of forsaking the living God. He has a way that he wants us to live. He has a way for us, for his people. And many people want to do things their own way. It's human nature. We all are afflicted with it. (laughs) This human nature causes us to have our own ideas about how things ought to be instead of accepting God's way for our lives. But he gives a cure for that or an aid, shall we say. He says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a way of getting into our lives one way or another. It's deceitful, dishonest, it doesn't matter. It, It tries to get its, sin wants to get its way in our lives. And we are to encourage and exhort one another, to urge one another to serve the Lord with our lives. And that's what he calls us to do there. And verse 16 said, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. He was talking about when they came out of Egypt and the children of Israel were out there in the, in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses as, as he was led of God. And verse 18 and 19 says, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not, those that did not believe God, that did not, they said, God's brought us out here to, to kill us in the wilderness, to, we'll die of thirst, we'll die of hunger, our clothes will wear out. God took care of all of those things and more. He led them with a fiery, cloudy pillar that they, they could see and their enemies could see it for miles. Here there were a million people out there in the wilderness. They were fed, clothed, sheltered, protected. Uh, They were led by this fiery cloudy pillar, a, a pillar of cloud during the day and a fire at night. They could see that all throughout the camp, wherever they were. They knew where God wanted them to go. And... They didn't know the way for sure, but God led them. But but some did provoke God. For when they heard, they did provoke. That is, uh, rebel. The idea is rebellion. It's not just provoking. 
like irritating God. They rebelled against him. Said we we could go back to Egypt and we we had plenty to eat back there. All those leeks and garlics and and all this good good food to eat all the time in Egypt. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? Those that didn't believe God. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Because of their stubbornness, their willfulness, their choosing to do something other than what God wanted. And this warning there in verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in forsaking or departing from the living God. We need to realize that our, our God cares for us, provides for us, gives us many things. Brother Gary was telling about the provision for his truck when his clutch went out and the parts being available quickly and, and the repair done that very same day, which is unheard of <laughs> getting a repair done now it's like you want a doctor's appointment when we we're booked until next month you know it, it, God provides for us in many ways and so what we need to encourage one another to urge one another to stay close to God and to seek his will for our lives. Pray without ceasing. Is that a good admonition for us? Absolutely. As we go into chapter 4 here of Hebrews, it says, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should come short. Now the rest of God, his resting, I don't, I don't know about you, but when we go on vacation, we sometimes work harder at our vacation than we do at the work we do. You know, we have to get all of this stuff ready and uh, get, the, get the boat ready or get the, the hunting gear ready or whatever, you know, whatever we're doing on our our time off, our vacation. I mean, we sometimes work harder at that than we do at, at our normal jobs. I mean, it's, it's sometimes a lot of work to rest, <laughs> to rest up from what we do. You know, for Brother Gary here, he, to dr go driving somewhere, that's a, they call it a busman's holiday, a bus driver gets off work and he goes and drives up in the mountains or someplace, you know. <laughs> we oftentimes find ourselves working hard at getting rest, but this is a rest that God has planned for us. A, a, a time of ceasing from what we normally do, stopping that and doing something else. So 
he says, let us fear. What is fear? What is the fear that's talked about here? I, I want us to turn over to the book of, in the book of Hebrews to chapter 11. There's a good example of the kind of fear that God expects from us, from his people. Chapter 11, verses 6 and 7. But without faith it is impossible to please God, to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we need to realize that God not only is, that, you know, that God exists, but he is one who rewards those who diligently seek him. And then he gives the example that I want to talk about. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things to come, or uh, things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of, of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, of the righteousness which is by faith. So, what did Noah do? God came to him at a time when, as I understand it, the water came as dew in the night. And it was on the grass and it watered the grass and the trees and the, the garden. Everything was watered by the dew. It didn't rain. It didn't snow. And God says, build a boat. Now, not a, not a boat like we think of. This thing was a tub by, by our comparison. It was just a wooden hull. It, it didn't have a rudder that I know of. It didn't have a sail. It didn't have a motor. <laughs> it was a container. And God gave the instructions for building this thing. What kind of wood to build it out of? How long it was to be? How wide? What kind of galleries went in it? God gave specific instructions. It was have a door in the side of it. A ramp, if you will, that they could let down to herd the animals into. And then he wanted all of these animals gathered up from all over the world. All the animals were to be brought in in pairs and birthed in that boat. They had to have a place to live in inside this boat. Well, the people around Noah said, Noah, you're crazy. What are you building a boat for? They're, we're, you're far from the ocean. The, the ocean's a long ways away. And here you are building uh, uh, this monstrosity. I mean, come on. You're crazy. They, they thought Moses, that Noah was crazy. But Noah had been warned of God. There's a flood coming. And these were things that weren't seen as yet. Nobody ever seen it rain, much less a flood. Dew didn't bring a flood of any kind. 
but he moved with fear. What kind of fear? That's, that's what we're asking here. What kind of fear? God said it. I believe it. And I'm going to do it. Because I believe God. He moved with fear. And he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. He was saved by doing what God said. All the other people on earth were not. They died. God said, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. Noah believed. He acted in fear. But Noah didn't just run around like, uh, like you know, the story of Chicken Little. Run, run, the sky is falling. Help, help. <laughs> no, no, that's not the kind of fear that he had. He went out and did God's bidding. He went out and started cutting trees and brought in lumber and started building this exactly to God's specifications. That's the kind of fear that he had. It was a fear put into action. And that is what, that is the kind of fear that is called for here in Hebrews chapter 4. It said, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left, of, left us of entering into his rest, any of, you, any of you should come short of it. Any of us. We, we don't want to come short of what God expects in our lives. We want to act in that kind of fear. God has given us promises. But each promise has a caveat, if you will, that says, if you will do this, I will do this for you. It's God who has, uh, has all things. They're in his control, not in ours. We find, soon find out how little control we have and how much we depend on God. We can't make the sun come up in the morning. We can't move the clouds. We can't do a lot of things. We can't maintain our own health. God does that. He's the great physician. <laughs> He's the one that takes care of us from day to day. But there's coming a time of rest. And we need to learn how to rest. Sometimes we just get so wrapped up in what we're doing that we forget about God, what he wants. And we get busy doing our own things, doing it our way. Hustle, hustle. Quick, we've got to, we're late, we're, we can't get there on time, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to do something else. But there's coming a time of rest that God has promised for his people. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, that is unto Moses and the children of Israel as they came out of, out of Egypt. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith. And that's the important part of that verse. Because they didn't believe 
what God had said. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to come out of slavery, but we want to be running things. (laughs) No. God says, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to provide for you. I'll give I'll be your strength, I'll be your protection. But they didn't believe. It was not their the the word was preached to them, was told this is the way it's going to be. This, God says this is what I want. And you do what I say and I will take care of you. But they didn't believe. Their their action, yes, they, yeah, they came out of Egypt. That's what they wanted. They wanted out of slavery. And God provided them with clothing from of the Egyptians, provided them with even the Egyptians' jewelry, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> they were carrying everything that, out of there. And, and yet it wasn't mixed with faith. They said, yeah, well, we'll, we'll get out of, out of Egypt. That's... That's our first thing, but I don't know about God out there in the wilderness, you know. He, can he feed us? We're, there's a million people here. How's he going to feed a million people? <laughs> How's he going to provide water for us, much less for all of our livestock that they also brought with them? God provided, but they still didn't believe. And then he goes, he talks about us. Those of us now in the church. He says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. This is is quoting that idea back there in Psalm 95 that we talked about last week for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise and God did rest on the seventh day from all his works and we know that's talking about Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 there it says that God rested God set the example for us of resting and, and taking a rest otherwise we'd be work 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 all the time I'm glad for the rest that God provides. It was the Sabbath in Moses' day. And we, we have found it convenient to take off both Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> but Sunday is the first day of the week. The, the last day is a day of rest. And that's, that was the Sabbath that was called for. And then he goes back and he quotes Psalm 95 again in verse 5. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. If. That big word if. Is a conditional word. It's a word that says there are, there, there's a way to do this. And it's God's way. He said, if they're going to enter into my rest... 
it's going to have to be God's way that they enter in. <laughs> Verse 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter in, enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. So he said there, that rest is still there for those that would enter into it, enter it, doing it God's way, not their own. And they whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. They didn't get that rest because of their uh, disobedience, if you will. When, when you don't believe something, you're not going to obey it. You're not going to do it that way. You're going to do it some other way. And that's what they did. They disobeyed God. So it didn't help them any. Verse 7 says, And he again, or he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. This is quoted several times. It was quoted in last, last week's lesson several times. It's quoted several times in this week's lesson. This is important. Today, right now, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't turn against God. Don't say, I don't want it that way. That's what they did. And they lost out. They missed out. Yes, they went into Canaan land, but many of them died in the land. Had they gone in by faith, as Joshua and Caleb did, God would have provided for them. Joshua was an old man. He was in his 80s when he went into the land. He was in his 80s. But he led his people. He says, I want that mountain where the giants live. I'm going to take that one. That's, that's the part that I want. He says, I'm not afraid of those giants. Here he was, an 80-year-old man. He led the army going into, led his army in, going in there, and he took that mountain by God's grace. I doubt that Joshua lost a man to those giants. He entered in by faith, and he took his mountain, and he helped the rest of the nation. He led the nation at that point. Moses died. He didn't get to go into the land because of his disobedience, because of his acting in anger and doing his own thing. He didn't get to go into the land. He got to see it. He got, came up to the edge, came up to the Jordan River, but he didn't get to go in. Even Moses didn't get to. Only two that I'm that the scripture speaks of, Joshua and Caleb. Those two spies 
a couple of 80-year-old spies going into the land, and they, it took two of them to carry out a bunch of grapes between them. They had to string it up like it was a, a deer on a pole to, to bring that out of the land. They said, it's everything that God said it was going to be. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. We've got everything we need there. Let's go take it. And all the others that went in there says, yeah, but we're, we're like grasshoppers before them. We, they'll just step on us. They're giants in the land. They feared, but they didn't fear God. They feared the giants. What kind of fear do we have? What is this fear that it says here? Let us fear, therefore, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. We don't want to come short. We want to do things God's way. And then in verse 8, it's, I'm going to put in here a different word than Jesus. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? This is one place where the translators of the King James missed out. Jesus wasn't known in that day. Joshua was the one that led them into the, into the land. But he didn't give them rest. And another future time was spoken of, of that rest. There therefore remaineth a rest to the people of God. God's people. Not to anybody else, just God's people. Those that follow him. Those that believe. Those that act in faith. Those that fear. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So who's he talking about? He. He that is entered into his rest into his rest. He also has ceased from his own works. That's us. We need to cease from our own works to, in order to do God's work. He can't, we can't be doing our work as opposed to God's work. And so he says that we have to cease from our works, our works, whatever they might be. Let God direct our lives. Show us the way. Help us to achieve his will in our lives. God isn't trying to keep things from us. He's not trying to destroy us as they thought out here in the wilderness, of, out here in the world. God provides for his own. But then he says something that sounds kind of contradictory. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What do you mean labor? I mean, Ephesians tells us that we can't labor for it. It's not our own works. 
We aren't doing our works. We're entering into his works. We're ceasing from our works, but we're entering into his. Yes. It says, by, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. But he says labor. What, what did Jesus have to say about laboring? Look back in John chapter, chapter 6, verse 27 says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. God the Father sealed Jesus Christ. He, he authorized him. He set him as the leader of mankind to come here to pay the price of our sin and direct and guide us into love, into what, what are the two great commandments? Love God above all others and thy neighbor as thyself. And you fulfill the law in doing that. All the law, it says. Love. That's, that's a commandment that Jesus gave. But he says here, labor not for the meat which perisheth. Now, the, he was talking to people here who had just been fed. The 5,000 were fed by five small barley loaves and two small fish. 5,000 people were fed by that. And they gathered up 12 baskets of fragments afterwards, after they were all satisfied. 5,000 people fed on some kid's sack lunch. <laughs> That's what it was. A, a small child had brought his own lunch. He had five little barley loaves and two little fishes. That, that was his lunch for the day. He came prepared. I, I tend to think he was a Boy Scout. <laughs> He'd be prepared. Well... Yes. Well, and then, and then they, Jesus crossed over the, the sea and, and left them behind. And they came looking for him. And they found him. And when they had found him, this is verse 25 there in John chapter 6. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did, when did you come over here? And Jesus answered to them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. What was their motivation? They, they believed him as long as he was feeding them. Is that what... Is that the picture I, that's what the picture I get. Yeah, we, well, yeah, you fed us. We, we like that. Boy, that, that was, that was a good lunch. <laughs> Jesus said. Yeah, he's looking at their stomach, not their heart. Yeah, it, it wasn't the miracle that you, 
were excited about. You were excited about being provided for. And then he says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. God gave his unction, his sanction, his uh, appointment to Jesus to come and to do God's bidding. And he did it. And he performed miracles because God gave him the power to do it. But this labor, it says labor not for the meat which perisheth. These are things that are going to pass away, but there is coming a rest for God's people. And that is what we need to look forward to. That kingdom, that holy kingdom where God is everything. He's the light of that world. He's, a, he's to be the light of the world for us now. So we need to be looking for that in our lives today. Not some future day, not some pie in the sky sort of thing. We're talking about doing God's bidding today. Doing his will now. Laboring for that, which, that meat which isn't perishable but that meat which endures unto everlasting life. That's what we want. So back here in Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. That example of unbelief was the Jews in the wilderness. For the word of God is quick and powerful. This is verse 12. That is, is, it is living and is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is that. So what is it said? It's dividing, it's cutting, separating things. It separates uh, piercing even under the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. How do you separate a soul from a spirit? <laughs> God can. God's word can and does. And of the joints and marrow. Well, okay, I'd just as soon not have my joints and marrow separated. I have a little trouble with them every now and then anyway. But the last part is what's important. And he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's able to judge between what we think and what we do. What, how we act and why we act the way we do. God knows your motive, knows your motivation, why you do what you do. And this is where it's able to judge us. This is where God is able to judge because God's word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Where is your heart? Is it serving God? 
or are you worried? We're not supposed to worry. We're supposed to pray. Put things in God's hands and act as he gives us direction. So, with this idea, think about Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, which says, is it 21 or 29? 6.21. It says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you value in life? What is your treasure? Verse 20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you value? He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where it's not like the earth. We lay up treasures here on earth. We're going to leave those behind. But if we lay up treasures in heaven, we have that to look forward to when we get there. I'm afraid a lot of, a lot of Christians are not laying up treasures in heaven. They'll get there, but they won't have much to look, they won't have much to work with. Their treasure will be very minimal. They'll be poor people in heaven. <laughs> he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth and rust can't take that away from you there. Thieves can't take it away from you. They can here. The things that we accumulate here, all the junk we collect in our lives, all the baggage, whatever, that can be stolen from us. That can be destroyed. That can be done away with. And we end up with nothing anyway. But that doesn't happen there. So we need to labor. Lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. All right, back here to Hebrews chapter 4 again. God knows our motives, as we see in, in verse 12. He knows the intent, the thoughts and the intents of the heart, how we think, how we visualize the world around us. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We can't hide anything from God. You can't hide anything. Not a single thing. Not a sin. Not a treasure. Not a, uh, a thought. You can't hide it from God. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. He sees everything. But all things are naked and open to, 
open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This is our God. He sees everything. Doesn't miss a thing. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our profession. We believe in Jesus. We were saved. He says, since we have this high priest that is already there at the right hand of God, Jesus, the Son of God, let us believe, let us hold fast, hold, hold on to it tightly, onto our profession of faith. Don't let that get away from you. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This is Jesus that's being talked about here. He feels our infirmities. He was here. He was tempted like we are, and maybe more than we have been. We have a... It, it's not as though we don't have a high priest that, that can be touched with our, the feelings of our infirmities. When we have things that we say, Lord, I can't do this. How am I supposed to do what you want me to do? I don't have the resources. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have something else. God can provide, can't he? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. He's not going to criticize you because you don't have stuff. He can provide stuff. <laughs> he can provide what you need. The resources that you need to do God's will. So we have this, high, this great high priest that has passed into the heavens already. He's already accomplished his work on this earth. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us lay hold on, on that profession of faith and say, I believe God today. I believe him now. Not just yesterday. Not just when I was first saved. But he can provide for me now. For Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our weakness. He, he can feel that, understand that, because he was here as a man, just as we are. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What is sin? Miss the mark? That's the idea. It, it's anything that comes short of being what God wants us to be. Anything. Oops. Who of us hasn't fallen short? Who, who of us always hits the mark? Who of us is perfect? None of us. But Jesus knows about that. He knows why we fail, how we fail. Yet he was without sin. Verse 16 says, Let us, therefore, 
come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Wow. 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 That's now. You bet. That is immediate. We can come to God. Let us do it boldly. Let's not be afraid to come to Jesus. Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. What's mercy? That's where you're found guilty and you're let off the hook. (laughs) That we may obtain mercy and find grace, unmerited favor to help in the time of our need. Jesus is there to provide that for us. We need to come boldly before him. Oh. He's not a high priest that's inaccessible. You know, the high priest in Israel was inside there and the high priest wasn't necessarily accessible. Our high priest is. He's Jesus. The one that we professed faith in. Let's not miss a chance to, when, when we've got something that we've done wrong, something we're short of, some place where we've failed, let's come and obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know, we need to be glad when we're, we have trials and temptations, when troubles come upon us. Oh, well, wait a minute. Be glad? Yeah. Let's turn to the book of James. Book of James, chapter 1. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Tests, trials, um, various troubles in our lives. He says, count it all joy when you fall into these temptations, into the trials, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You learn to make it through those things by God's grace, and we learn patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, not doubting, not wavering or doubting at all. Ask in faith. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Boo! That's a warning. Act in faith, believing so that you can receive. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That idea of double-minded is two-faced. A two-faced person isn't going to receive anything from God. He's not acting in faith. 
He just wants to be fed like those people there by the sea. They want those stuff now. They're not looking forward to that day of rest. We get to see God will provide a way that you may be able to bear it. But remember, God knows our motives, knows our hearts, knows who we are. We can't hide anything from him. Ask in faith, nothing doubting, and God will do the provision in his way, not necessarily the way we think it ought to be. But we need to remember, and we need to act in fear the way Noah did. Act in fear. Build that stupid boat. <laughs> you might look, look like an idiot out there building a boat in the middle of the desert. But God knows. He's also promised us that the world is going to be destroyed again. Only this time by fire. Where are you going to hide this time? How are you going to build a boat against fire? God is the one who provides for us. He's the one that is our safety. He, he's the one who is our... We need to hide in the hand of God. That's the only place it's safe. That's what I have for you this morning. And I hope... I hope it's blessed you as it blessed me last night as I studied. We need to realize who our God is and trust him. Learn to trust God every day, all the time. God sees our hearts and knows who we are and loved us anyway. He still loves us. We need to go to this high priest and ask for mercy, ask for forgiveness ask for the things that we need to do what he wants us to do. And he'll provide. Thank you. pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So he has, he has to be a man to begin with, and he has to be called to this job, that he's called to be a priest. He's, and especially the high priest, taken from among men, He's ordained, and this word ordained here in this place speaks to the idea of being appointed. He he's, receives an appointment to this job. It's not something you go out and, and campaign for like a political office, even though the Jews oftentimes uh, took it as such and, and uh, used their power. But he says, those that are taken from among men are, or, are appointed to this job. 
for, on, on behalf of men pertaining to the things of God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So there are two different things here that he does. He, he gives gifts, and this is kind of like um, the, the offerings that were given of thanks. And then it also speaks of sacrifices for sin. So this was in the Old Testament, and the Jews were very familiar with this. But he says this person, in verse 2, he says, who is a person who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So he says he has to be able to have experienced these things himself, to understand and to know what people are going through, to have compassion on the ignorant. Why don't we all fall into that category every now and then? And on them that are out of the way, one that are, ones that are just out in left field, they've got, they're on the wrong track, they're doing things the wrong way. And he has to have compassion on these people because he himself is also uh, compassed with infirmity. That is, he's surrounded by weakness. He's surrounded by the weakness of his own weakness. He knows what this is like. And so he has to have that experience behind him. He wouldn't be somebody who was uh, new to these things. Verse 3 says, And by reason thereof, he ought as for the people, also, so also for himself, to offer for sins. Uh, you know, he says that this, he offers these uh, sins, and he knows where these people have been, and he can go to the Lord as a as an intercessor and to offer these sins or offer these uh, sacrifices for sins and verse 4 starts another idea uh, he says that this is an honorable office and it was not taken unintentionally but was by appointment only so verse Four says, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And so this was God's appointment of Jesus. God appointed him as not similar to what Aaron was. You know, Moses back in Exodus, I think it's chapter 5, said, I, I can't, I'm not a man of eloquence. I need somebody to speak for me. And God wasn't too pleased with that. God said, I, I formed the tongue. I could, I could make you able give you the ability that you need. 
And and yet he said, okay, I'll, I'll have Aaron do this for you. Because he's an eloquent man. He's a man who can handle this job. And so Aaron was appointed again by God. Because there, there wasn't, it couldn't have been just anybody. It had to be somebody who had the right qualifications. And Aaron did have those qualifications. He says, in, in like manner, Christ uh, didn't puff himself up to be something that it's not as though he needed to. But he says he didn't take this on, but he was appointed to that job by God. And and God said, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. This is in Psalms chapter 2, verse 7. And there, that one and one other place in Psalms, it's Psalms 100, 110 and verse 4. Now, I'll go there and I'll, I'll read a little bit of this. Uh, Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. This, was a, this is a psalm of David. And David says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. So he was talking about, I, I believe Jesus. I, I think that David had a, a communion with God that was perhaps better than many. He was, from the time he was a young lad out tending his father's sheep, he had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And he said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of strength out of Zion, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So he says, I, I was given the opportunity, and, and God would rule in the midst, or Jesus would rule in the midst of his enemies also. All throughout his ministry, there were those who opposed Jesus and the things that he said, the things that he did. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wow. Well, this wasn't David that was being talked about. That's for sure. David was aware of that. But this was a prophecy that God gave to David concerning Jesus. 
And so here God, God gave this prophecy to David that of Jesus. He says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? The king, king priest of Salem. Okay, king priest of Salem. And so, and what does Salem mean? It means peace. The king of peace. And he was a priest and a king. And when Abraham came from the battle of the, what was it, four kings? Five? Maybe five kings. Okay. But he had gone to battle with five kings and had been victorious. God gave him the victory. And on his way back, he met Melchizedek. And he gave a tenth of the best of everything of the spoils of that battle to Melchizedek. So he honored Melchizedek. Abraham honored Melchizedek as being superior or more important than himself. So that's an interesting thing here. Um, and then back in Hebrews again. Get turned back there. And verse 7. Right, well, okay. Who in the days of, he, he was talking about Melchizedek there, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. This isn't talking about Melchizedek now. This is talking about Jesus. He says, verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, I, I've had trouble trying to wrap my mind around the idea of Jesus having to learn to obey. But he did. And he learned to do what God the Father asked him to do. But he learned through the things which he suffered. They, they weren't necessarily pleasant things. I'm certain that dying on the cross was not one of the most pleasant things that Jesus ever did. But it says in verse 9, And he, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So it's not just Jesus who learned to obey, but we need to learn to obey too. And it may not be pleasant things. And again, speaking of Jesus, it says, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So this Melchizedek was uh, a man, we don't know much about him. We don't know his lineage. We don't know where he came. We know where he was, but we don't know exactly where he came from. Uh, you, 
the really those, found? those two the that word there is actually root word from two Greek words. Which word? Um, Melche- Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Okay. And it's from uh, Melech, which means king or royal. Yes. And it comes from Zedek, which means the right or prosperity or equity. equity. So the king of equity and prosper or prosperity. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't looked up the uh, derivation of that name. That's interesting. Two Greek words at that. Oh, these are two two, two Hebrew. Hebrew, Hebrew words. words. Okay. Well, you, you said Greek and I thought... I'm sorry, I meant that. Hebrew. Oh, okay. But, oh. but that's that's uh, pretty interesting. I never looked it at is. that. It is. That is interesting. Um, so, the king of peace and prosperity. Interesting. And Jesus is made after the order of Melchizedek. Now, when he speaks about priestly order, there's there are two of them basically. the The other one is the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood, and that's the one that he spoke of there at the very first in chapter or in verse one. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. So. Here we see this uh, the, we see the tears of Jesus and prayer to the Father. Um, for concerning his the suffering and and yet he obeyed and he did what the Father asked. Uh, and he became the source and the giver of of salvation to us. He, in dying on the cross, saved us from our sins because it was for us that God the Father said, the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. And our souls were the target of that. But Jesus took that on himself at God's direction, God the Father's direction. And Jesus obeyed in that instance you know one of the things that I think about is he was speaking to these Jewish brethren here this the writer was yes and he was trying to lay down some foundation work for them yes. to understand just just how landmark it was for Jesus to be the high priest yes and, and to this particular point they didn't understand that because no you see the struggle they had when Christ was on the scene you know and they were trying to take a lot of these other, these these other Gentile brethren back under the law, you know, as well as themselves going back under the law because, yes, because of all these these things, these spiritual corruptions they were dealing with. But he says there that it's interesting how he lays the foundation there. Yes, he, he, talk, he starts with the man and he says this was way the way the priesthood of Aaron was set up because he understood right. the weakness of men, and then he goes on to Christ saying. He understood the same way, but without sin. But without sin. Yes. You know. Yes, and that's. And he goes on. He speaks about the weakness of these Hebrew brethren in the next few verses here. Verse. Let's read verse eleven. Uh, he's talking about Melchizedek here. He says, "Of whom we have many things to say." 
and hard to be uttered or, or to be um, expressed. It's hard to express about Melchizedek, exactly who he was and what he was. But, um, and hard to be uttered is the way it's said here. Seeing you're dull of hearing. Now, this, they said, wait a minute, dull of hearing. That's, that's not, not like me. I've been around machinery and my hearing isn't as good as it used to be. But that's not what they're talking about here. He's talking about their apprehension, their, uh, uh, it, says, it says hard of hearing is the idea here, but it's dull. Your, your brain isn't receiving things. It's not apprehending the idea. That, uh, and so it's hard for us to explain these things to you when you don't have the, the basis for understanding these things. And they should have. He says, for, verse 12 says, for when, the, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So they, he put them down here. The, these Hebrew Christians, they had been Christians for a long time, but they were not developing and growing the way they should. They weren't hearing what God intended. It wasn't hearing the the message of love that Christ came to bring. And they were wanting to bring people back under the law again, as you inferred there earlier. They're, these were they were going back to the law and trying to live under the law again instead of under the grace that Jesus Christ brought. He says, you ought to be teachers, but you have need that someone teach you again. The very basic, or the, the first principles of the oracles of God, the, the idea here is uh, the truth. You need to go back and learn the truth. And you should be teaching others, but you're not ready for that yet. Verse 13 says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now that's a that last part there tells us a lot. He says this is something that you don't get by uh, oh, just reading a book or having somebody tell you something. This is something you learn by experience. And it, it says uh, by reason of use. That's, that's practice. A daily practice. Ongoing practice. Have their senses exercised. Um, trained, if you will. They have their, their senses are trained to, ex, they've experienced these things to discern both good and evil, to, to judge what is right and what's wrong. That's an, another important part for this priesthood. Uh, the Hebrew Christians 
we're chastened for being slow to comprehend, hard of hearing or, or dull of apprehension, however you want to say that. For as long as you have been believers, you should have been able to teach others also. But in reality, you need to relearn the base, basics of the truths of God. That word babe there means, it's napios, which means that uh, if they're an infant, a simple-minded, it's a simple-minded person. Mm -hmm. Or uh, immature. Yes. And it says, uh, it says uh, particularly that they are one who cannot speak, speak, hence an infant child baby without definite, without any definitive limit of age. Yeah. So just someone that's no, it's, not mature enough right. to... Uh, and it's spiritual maturity that's being spoken of here. That's right. It's it's not that they weren't uh, elders. They may have been elders, but he says, you're not really mature spiritually. And spiritually, spiritual maturity is acquired through constant practice, by experience. We have to learn to experience the confidence in God and be able to teach that to others and that's a it's not an easy thing to learn in the first place but to teach it is perhaps even harder especially when people are dull of hearing and he says you're dull of hearing you're not grasping the the importance here and two, think about the struggles that they faced there at the time period. We're not long in between the the death, the, the physical crucifixion of Christ, right? And eighty seventy when Jerusalem was completely razed to the ground, right? So they were going through some great difficulty, you know, in that time because it Jesus had turned their world upside down because from the Old Testament, you know, right. because they're not grasping. They were still trying to hold on to the, the to the to the old covenant teachings and the sacrifice and all this, but Christ was trying to get them to understand when he was on the scene that this this is there's a better way. This is that I'm trying to establish for you all. Yes. You know, and they're they're struggling to let go of all that how many thousands of years of teach of old covenant teachings and yes. promises made by God that they understand that it, it had it hadn't changed. It was just how it's going to be fulfilled in the New Testament kind of shifted that with from the from the continual sacrificial offerings to Christ would suffice that. Yes, and he was the offering. Oh, he was the offering. And we'll, we'll get into that here. Sorry, Matter, matter of fact, let's let's go on into chapter six here. It says, uh, and and this is an appeal to them to these Hebrew Christians for a sudden and urgently needed development in their lives spiritually. And so he goes on here and he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment and this we will do if God permit he said we're going to leave those basics behind 
and we're going to move on by God's grace. And he says, we aren't going to be able to do that on our own, but God will provide. And even for you that are slow of apprehension, they're not getting it here, we're, we're going to move on now, and we're going to go beyond these things and teach you some more. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon the earth upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth a blessing from god but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned so if the ground isn't producing what it needs to They'll, they'll burn it. If, it. if you planted alfalfa out here and nothing came up but you know, thistles, you, you do something about getting rid of those thistles. You burn them. Get it, get it taken care of. And he says that this is the same thing for those if they fall away from serving Jesus Christ, to renew them to repentance. And... So this is a very serious warning here. Um, it's a solemn warning at, of the seriousness of, of the leadership and responsibility for personal spiritual development. This is to the leaders. He's talking to leaders here, the people that should be leaders. And he says, you're, you're not getting it. You're not getting what Jesus came here to teach. And... And we're trying to move on and to, to get you that spiritual, that personal spiritual development that you need to be the instructors. All right. Um, verse 9, I think it is. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak. He says, even though we're talking to you this way, talking down to you, essentially, he says, we, we expect better things of you. We, we have expectations of you. Um, we have a confident expectation of, and he goes on to urge them here for their own assurance of God's faithfulness. To reward their diligence in service. If they will apply themselves diligently to do God's service, then God will be there to back them. And I'll, I'll, let's go ahead and read that. Um, verse, I'll read verse 9 again. But beloved, we are persuaded, uh, we're, we're convinced better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love 
which ye have showed, showed towards his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints, and you, you are ministering, but there's something lacking here. We, we want you to move on. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You've got examples in the Old Testament there. And we want you to follow them, realizing that God does take care of those who are diligent in his service. At verse, verse 11, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence or, or the, um, uh, how, what shall we say, the high purpose. You do things intentionally here to the full assurance of hope unto the end. So this is an ongoing thing and you need to be diligent all the time. It's not a, a one-time thing. It's not a on-again, off-again type of thing, but it's a, a con consistent uh, diligence that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. When, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So Abraham was said, you know, from the time he left the Ur of the Chaldees, and and became a great man as God made him a great man. He, he endured things. And he went through a lot of different trials. But God said, I will bless you. In blessing, I will bless thee. In multiplying, I will multiply thee. This duplication here is a reinforcement of that idea. And, and then it says, so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. It wasn't that he obtained the promise when he was told to leave the earth of the Chaldees. It was when he had patiently endured and gone through all of these things. And God was proven to Abraham. God believed Abraham, and that's why he left the year of the Chaldees, but there were a lot of things he had to endure, a lot of things he had to grow in his development. Even Abraham, who ever all of them looked up to Abraham, and and yet he said Abraham had to endure these things. It was not a instant thing. He didn't get instant gratification, but there was a ongoing learning and growth process and we need to realize for ourselves that there's a, a growth process here and we are called upon to be an active participant wide awake alert looking for what God wants us 
be doing. Not just passive and say, okay, all right, download it on me, you know. No, it's not that way. We have to endure things. And there are things that Jesus endured in order to do what God wanted him to do. And if we're to do the things that God calls us to do, there may be unpleasant things that we have to endure. There may be some spiritual growth that doesn't come instantly. You know, uh, I, I think of a violinist, Pinkus Zuckerman, or somebody like that. He's, he's good, but he, guess what? Even though he's an excellent violin player, he practices every single day. Every day. It, it's not as though his fingers will forget, although <laughs> I've, I've had things that I was better at at one time than I am now because I haven't done it for a while. And so we need to practice. We need to be diligent to practice those things every day. And learn through that patient endurance. And then we'll obtain the promises and not until then. Well, my, my time is up here. I'm, I'm going to stop right there at verse 15. And we'll start there. We'll pick up there again next week. That's a, a breaking point there in the, in the thought. So this, this is something we need to realize, that there, God has expectations of us in our spiritual development. No matter what we're called on to do, doesn't matter what our job, we were talking about uh, people being taking on different jobs, song leader or, or treasurer or whatever, Sunday school teacher, each of these, we need to learn to call on God for our own growth before we try and teach or, or help somebody else. And, and certainly we, we all come short. We're human beings. We understand that. But there is a certain confidence that we have in God that you don't learn by any other way than by experience. And, and by experiencing the fact that God is there, uh, uh, that assurance in our own heart that God will provide for us in the time of need. So, with that in mind, we'll, we'll take a short break here. physically hurt myself where I can't hurt me pull up.
you have to turn it and push it out to the side there. Yeah. One side, one way or the other. Uh, it's getting the sun right underneath. Oh, that. yeah, right. Uh, it's shining right in We need a piano player today. Tarantulas? Tarantulas, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Ye
This morning we're, we're missing our song, our piano player, and so we're... You, are you going to volunteer to play piano? I'm I, not ready for that. I, you jumped right up there. I, I'm not ready for that. I'm not either. <laughs> I, don't, I don't... For men, for men, in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So he has, he has to be a man... To begin with, and he has to be called to this job that he's called to be a priest. He's, and especially the high priest, taken from among men, he's ordained. And this word ordained here in this place speaks to the idea of being appointed. He he's, receives an appointment to this job. It's not something you go out and and campaign for like a political office, even though the Jews oftentimes uh, took it as such and, and uh, used their power. But he says those that are taken from among men are, or, are appointed to this job. For, on, on behalf of men pertaining to the things of God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So there are two different things here that he does. He, he gives gifts, and this is kind of like um, the, the offerings that were given of thanks. And then it also speaks of sacrifices for sins. So this was in the Old Testament, and the Jews were very familiar with this. But he says this person, in verse 2, he says, who is a person who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So he says he has to be able to have experienced these things himself, to understand and to know what people are going through, to have compassion on the ignorant, why don't we all fall into that category every now and then? And on them that are out of the way, one that are, ones that are just out in left field, they've got, they're on the wrong track, they're doing things the wrong way. And he has to have compassion on these people because he himself is also uh, compassed with infirmity. That is, he's surrounded by weakness. He's surrounded by the weakness of his own weakness. He knows what this is like. And so he has to have that experience behind him. He wouldn't be somebody who was uh, new to these things. Verse 3 says, And by reason thereof 
he ought as for the people also so also for himself to offer for sins uh, you know he says that this he offers these uh, sins and he knows where these people have been and he can go to the Lord as a, as an intercessor and to offer these sins or offer these uh, sacrifices for sins and verse 4 starts another idea uh, he says that this is an honorable office and it was not taken unintentionally but was by appointment only so verse 4 says and no man taketh this honor unto himself but he that is called of God as was Aaron so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest but he that said unto him thou art my son today have I begotten thee and so this was God's appointment of Jesus God appointed him as not similar to what Aaron was you know Moses back in Exodus I think it's chapter 5 said I I can't I'm not a man of eloquence I need somebody to speak for me and God wasn't too pleased with that God says I I formed the tongue I could I could make you able give you the ability that you need and and yet he said okay I'll I'll have Aaron do this for you because he's an eloquent man he's a man who can handle this job and so Aaron was appointed again by God because there there wasn't it couldn't have been just anybody it had to be somebody who had the right qualifications and Aaron did have those qualifications he says in in like manner Christ uh, didn't puff himself up to be something that it's not as though he needed to but he says he didn't take this on but he was appointed to that job by God and and God said thou art my son today have I begotten thee this is in Psalms chapter 2 verse 7 and there that one and one other place in Psalms it's Psalms 100 110 and verse 4 now I'll go there and I'll, I'll read a little bit of this uh, Psalm 110 verse 1 says the Lord said unto my Lord sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool this was a, this is a psalm of David and David says the Lord said unto my Lord 
sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So he was talking about, I, I believe Jesus. I, I think that David had a, a communion with God that was perhaps better than many. He was, from the time he was a young lad out tending his father's sheep, he had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And he said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So he says, I, I was given the opportunity and, and God would rule in the midst or Jesus would rule in the midst of his enemies also. All throughout his ministry, there were those who opposed Jesus and the things that he said, the things that he did. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wow. Well, this wasn't David that was being talked about. That's for sure. David was aware of that. But this was a prophecy that God gave to David concerning Jesus. And... So here God, God gave this prophecy to David that of Jesus. He says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? Was, uh, the king, king priest of Salem. Okay, king priest of Salem. And so, and what does Salem mean? It means peace. The king of peace. And he was a priest and a king. And when Abraham came from the battle of the, what was it, four kings? Five? Maybe five kings. Okay. But he had gone to battle with five kings and had been victorious. God gave him the victory. And on his way back, he met Melchizedek. And he gave a tenth of the best of everything of the spoils of that battle to Melchizedek. So he honored Melchizedek. Abraham honored Melchizedek as being superior or more important than himself. So that's an interesting thing here. Um, and then back in Hebrews again get turned back there and verse 7 alright well okay who in the days of 
he was talking about Melchizedek there, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. This isn't talking about Melchizedek now. This is talking about Jesus. He says, verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, I, I've had trouble trying to wrap my mind around the idea of Jesus having to learn to obey. But he did. And he learned to do what God the Father asked him to do. But he learned through the things which he suffered. They, they weren't necessarily pleasant things. I'm certain that dying on the cross was not one of the most pleasant things that Jesus ever did. But it says in verse 9, And he, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So it's not just Jesus who learned to obey, but we need to learn to obey too. And it may not be pleasant things. And again, speaking of Jesus, it says, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So this Melchizedek was uh, a man, we don't know much about him. We don't know his lineage. We don't know where he, we know where he was, but we don't know exactly where he came from. Uh, you, the, really those, those two, the, that word there is actually root word from two Greek words. Which word? Um, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, okay. And it's from uh, Melech, which means king or royal. Yes. And it comes from Zedek, which means the right or prosperity or equity. equity. So the king of equity and prosper or prosperity. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't looked up the uh, derivation of that name. That's interesting. Two Greek words at that. Oh, these are two two, two Hebrew Hebrew, Hebrew words. words. Okay. Well, you you said Greek, and I thought I'm sorry. I meant right? Hebrew. Oh, okay. But, oh. but that's that's uh, pretty interesting. I never looked it at is. that. It is. That is interesting. Uh, so the king of peace and prosperity. Interesting. And Jesus is made after the order of Melchizedek. Now when he speaks about priestly order, there's, there are two of them basically. The, the other one is the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood and that's the one that he spoke of there at the very first in chapter or in verse 1 for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God so here we see this uh, the, we see the tears of Jesus and prayer to the Father um, concerning his the suffering and and yet he obeyed and he did what the father asked uh, and he became the source and the giver of 
of salvation to us. He, in dying on the cross, saved us from our sins because it was for us that God the Father said, the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. And our souls were the target of that. But Jesus took that on himself at God's direction, God the Father's direction. And Jesus obeyed in that instance. Now, one of the things that I think about is he was speaking to these Jewish brethren here, this, the writer was. Yes. And he was trying to lay down some foundation work for them yes. to understand just, just how landmark it was for Jesus to be the high priest. Yes. And, and to this particular point, they didn't understand that because no. you see the struggle they had when Christ was on the scene, you know, and they were trying to take a lot of these other, these, these other Gentile brethren back under the law, you know, as well as themselves going back under the law because, yes, because of all these, these things, these spiritual corruptions they were dealing with. But he says there that, it's interesting how he lays the foundation there. Yes, he, he, talk, he starts with the man, and he says this was way, the way the priesthood of Aaron was set up because he understood right. the weakness of men. And then he goes on to Christ saying, he understood the same way, but... Without sin. But without sin. Yes. You know. Yes, and that's... And he goes on and he speaks about the weakness of these Hebrew brethren in the next few verses here. Verses... Let's read verse 11. Uh, he's talking about Melchizedek here. He says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered or, or to be um, expressed. It's hard to express about Melchizedek, exactly who he was and what he was. But, um, and hard to be uttered is the way it's said here. Seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now, this, they said, wait a minute, dull of hearing. That's, that's not, not like me. I've been around machinery and my hearing isn't as good as it used to be. But that's not what they're talking about here. He's talking about their apprehension, their, uh, uh, it, says, it says hard of hearing is the idea here, but it's dull. Your, your brain isn't receiving things. It's not apprehending the idea. That, uh, and so it's hard for us to explain these things to you when you don't have the, the basis for understanding these things. And they should have. He says, for, verse 12 says, for, when the, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So they were, he put them down here. The, these Hebrew Christians, they had been Christians for a long time, but they were not developing and growing the way they should. They weren't hearing what God intended. It wasn't hearing the the message of love that Christ came to bring. And they were wanting to bring people back under the law again, as you inferred there earlier. They're, these were, they were going back to the law and trying to 
live under the law again instead of under the grace that Jesus Christ brought. He says you ought to be teachers, but you have need that someone teach you again. The very basic, or the, the first principles of the oracles of God. The, the idea here is uh, the truth. You need to go back and learn the truth. And you should be teaching others, but you're not ready for that yet. Verse 13 says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now that's a that last part there tells us a lot. He says this is something that you don't get by uh, oh just reading a book or having somebody tell you something. This is something you learn by experience. And it, it says uh, by reason of use. That's that's practice. A daily practice, ongoing practice. Have their senses exercised, um, trained, if you will. They have their their senses are trained to. Ex they've experienced these things. To discern both good and evil. To to judge what is right and what's wrong. That's an, another important part for this priesthood. Uh, the Hebrew Christians were chastened for being slow to comprehend, hard of hearing or, or dull of apprehension, however you want to say that. For as long as you have been believers, you should have been able to teach others also. But in reality, you need to relearn the base, basics of the truths of God. That word babe there means, it's napios, which means that uh, it, it, they're an infant, a simple-minded, it's a simple-minded person. Mm -hmm. Or uh, immature. Yes. And it says, uh, it says uh, particularly that they are one who cannot speak, speak, hence an infant child baby without definite, without any definitive limit of age. Yeah. So just someone that's no, not mature enough right. to... Uh, and, and it's spiritual maturity that's being spoken of here. That's right. It's it's not that they weren't uh, elders. They may have been elders, but he says, you're not really mature spiritually. And spiritually, spiritual maturity is acquired through constant practice, by experience. We have to learn to experience the confidence in God and be able to teach that to others and that's a it's not an easy thing to learn in the first place but to teach it is perhaps even harder especially when people are dull of hearing and he says you're dull of hearing you're not grasping the the importance here and two, think about the struggles that they faced there at the time period. We're not long in between the the death, the, the physical crucifixion of Christ, right, and eighty seventy when 
Jerusalem was completely razed to the ground. Right. So they were going through some great difficulty, you know, in that time because it, Jesus had turned their world upside down because from the Old Testament, you know, right. because they're not grasping. They were still trying to hold on to the, the, to the, to the old covenant teachings and the sacrifice and all this, but Christ was trying to get them to understand when he was on the scene that this, this is, there's a better way. This is that I'm trying to establish for you all. Yes. You know, and they're, they're struggling to let go of all that. How many thousands of years of teach of old covenant teachings and promises made by God that they understand that it it had, it hadn't changed. It was just how it's going to be fulfilled in the new Testament kind of shifted that with from the from the continual sacrificial offerings to Christ would suffice that. Yes, and he was the offering. Oh, he was the offering. And we'll, we'll get into that here. Sorry, matter, matter of fact, let's let's go on into chapter six here. It says uh and and this is an appeal to them to these Hebrew Christians for a sudden and urgent needed development in their lives spiritually and so he goes on here and he says therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. He says we're going to leave those basics behind. And we're going to move on by God's grace. And he says we aren't going to be able to do that on our own. But God will provide. And even for you that are slow of apprehension. They're not getting it here. We're, we're going to move on now and we're going to go beyond these things and teach you some more. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain, that cometh oft upon the earth upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth a blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned so if the ground isn't producing what it needs to they'll they'll burn it if it if you planted alfalfa here and nothing came up but thistles you you do something about getting rid of those thistles you burn them get it get it taken care of and he says that this is the same thing for those if they fall away from serving Jesus Christ to renew them to repentance. And so this is a very serious warning here. Uh, 
it's a solemn warning of the seriousness of of the leadership and responsibility for personal spiritual development. This is to the leaders. He's talking to leaders here, the people that should be leaders. And he says, you're, you're not giving it. You're not getting what Jesus came here to teach. And, and we're trying to move on and to, to get you that spiritual, that personal spiritual development that you need to be the instructors. All right. Um, verse 9, I think it is. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. He says, even though we're talking to you this way, talking down to you, essentially, he says, we, we expect better things of you. We, we have expectations of you. Um, we have a confident expectation of, and he goes on to urge them here for their own assurance of God's faithfulness to reward their diligence in service. If they will apply themselves diligently to do God's service, then God will be there to back them. And I'll, I'll, let's go ahead and read that. Um, verse, I'll read verse 9 again. But beloved, we are persuaded, uh, we're, we're convinced better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed, showed towards his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints, and you, you are ministering. But there's something lacking here. We, we want you to move on. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You've got examples in the Old Testament there. And we want you to follow them realizing that God does take care of those who are diligent in his service. At verse, verse 11, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence or, or the, um, uh, how, what shall we say, the high purpose. You do things intentionally here. To the full assurance of hope unto the end. So this is an ongoing thing, and you need to be diligent all the time. It's not a a one-time thing. It's not a on again, off again type of thing. But it's a a con consistent uh, diligence that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. When, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. 
So Abraham was at, you know, from the time he left the Ur of the Chaldees and, and became a great man, at, as God made him a great man, he, he endured things. And he went through a lot of different trials. But God said, I will bless you. In, in blessing, I will bless thee. In multiplying, I will multiply thee. This duplication here is a reinforcement of that idea. And, and then it says, so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. It wasn't that he obtained the promise when he was told to leave the earth of the Chaldees. It was when he had patiently endured and gone through all of these things. And God was proven to Abraham. God believed Abraham. That's why he left the earth of the Chaldees. But there were a lot of things he had to endure. A lot of things he had to grow in his development. Even Abraham who ever, all of them looked up to Abraham. And, and yet he said, Abraham had to endure these things. It was not an instant thing. He didn't get instant gratification. But there was an ongoing learning and growth process. And we need to realize for ourselves that there's a, a growth process here. And we are called upon to be an active participant. Wide awake, alert, looking for what God wants us to be doing. Not just passive and say, okay, all right, download it on me, you know. No, it's not that way. We have to endure things. And there are things that Jesus endured in order to do what God wanted him to do. And if we're to do the things that God calls us to do, there may be unpleasant things that we have to endure. There may be some spiritual growth that doesn't come instantly. You know, uh, I, I think of a violinist, Pinkus Zuckerman, or somebody like that. He's, he's good, but he, guess what? Even though he's excellent violin player, he practices every single day. Every day. It, it's not as though his fingers will forget. Although, <laughs> I've, I've had things that I was better at at one time than I am now because I haven't done it for a while. And so we need to practice. We need to be diligent to practice those things every day and learn through that patient endurance and then we'll obtain the promises and not until then well my my time is up here I'm, I'm going to stop right there at verse 15 and we'll start there and we'll pick up there again next week that's a, a breaking point there in the, in the thought so this, this is something we need to realize that there, God has expectations of us in our spiritual development. No matter what 
we're called on to do. Doesn't matter what our job, we were talking about uh, people being taken on different jobs, song leader or, or treasurer or whatever, Sunday school teacher, each of these, we need to learn to call on God for our own growth before we try and teach or, or help somebody else. And, and certainly we, we all come short. We're human beings. We understand that. But there is a certain confidence that we have in God that you don't learn by any other way than by experience. And, and by experiencing the fact that God is there, uh, uh, that assurance in our own heart that God will provide for us in the time of need. So, with that in mind, we'll, we'll take a short break here. Turn it, push it out to the side there. Yeah, one side, one way or the other. Uh, it's getting the sun right underneath. Oh there. yeah, right. Uh, it's shining right in. Yeah. I don't know what you say. She's exploring. 
that We need a piano player today.
This, this morning we're, we're missing our song, our piano player, and so we're... You, are you going to volunteer to play piano? I'm I, not ready for that. I, you jumped right up there. I, I'm not ready for that. I'm not either. <laughs> I don't... I don't